0: If you're new here to us, our children are going out to Children's Church. If you want to go, you're welcome to go. Now, some of you that are 30, and 40 years old, you can't go, but other people can. Well, a man took his Rockweiler dog to the vet. And he said to the vet, my dog's cross-eyed. Is there anything you can do for it? Well, said the vet, let's have a look at him. So he picks the dog up and he has a good look at his eyes. Well, says the vet, I'm going to have to put him down. The guy said, Just because he's cross eyed, says the man? No, because he's heavy, says the vet. <laughs> Never mind. Now, if I'm going to have to start explaining these jokes, I don't know what I'm going to do here. Well, the California State Department of Fish and Game advising hikers, hunters, fishermen, and golfers to take extra precautions and keep alert for bears while in Yosemite and Mammoth areas. They advise people to wear noise-producing devices such as little bells on their clothing to alert but not startle the bears unexpectedly. They also advise carrying pepper spray in case of an encounter with a bear. It's also a good idea to watch for fresh signs of bear activity and know the difference between black bears and grizzly bear droppings. Black bear droppings are smaller and contain little berries and possibly squirrel fur. Grizzly bear droppings have little bells in them and smell like pepper spray. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm going to tackle a verse today, and, and I really, boy, studying this, this is one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible, and we've been preaching through the whole book of, of chapter 8 of Romans, and this is a verse, I promise you, everybody in here knows, and it's Romans eight twenty eight. and you could probably, most people in here could quote it, but I want you to listen to what this verse says. It says this, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Let's pray. And Father, I come today in the name of Jesus, knowing I'm not worthy to stand here, And I ask for forgiveness for my sins. But I also come, Father, today knowing that without you and without the movement of the Holy Spirit, there is no use for us even to have service. You're the one that has to do all things. So, Lord, I pray simply may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. For you're our strength, you're our redemption, you're everything, Father. We cannot do this without you. So I pray that you'd be with us today. And I ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. amen. We're living in strenuous times. We're living in times when people have got all kinds of things happening to them. This is a verse many times that I've seen, and I've seen after doing hundreds of funerals, I've seen people come up to somebody, and, and, and I know what they're really trying to do. They're trying to help the person feel better. And they'll come up to them and, they'll, and, cause, and, and, and they're really in a situation that's foreign to them because they've not been around a lot of people that have died or other things and know what to say. But they'll come up and they'll say, Well, now we know that all things work together for good to those who love, the, love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. And I will tell you simply, that is not at the time or place where you should say that to somebody. Number one, they're not going to understand it But we don't know why God does certain things. The Bible tells us that His ways are not our ways, neither are His thoughts our thoughts. But I really believe if I understand what this verse means to me, it will bring great harmony in my life. And this to the Christian, the person who knows Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, that God gives us in the midst, this is a a life saviour that God gives us in the midst of trials and troubles that we go through. But if you don't study the Word, if you don't study the Bible, then you will not understand this verse, and I mean it. You'll be asking, how can this situation that I'm in really take place? Well, ask the question, Lord, what in the world? Where are you, Lord? How many times have I seen people go through things and they come to me and they say, I don't understand what's happening in my life. How could God do this to me? Even in the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews there's one verse in there that talks about let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us and then it goes on to say looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith but you come all the way down to about verse 16 or 17 it says least a root of bitterness be brought up in the heart there's a lot of people that have had negative horrible things to happen in their life and they're mad but they're not mad at people they're mad at God they're mad at God. And so if we don't understand this verse, what God's trying to say, and, but that we're not going to understand what He's doing. And so if you don't study the Word, if you don't get in the Bible, if you don't let the Word of God saturate in your life, then you're not going to understand this verse. You're going to be asking, Lord, where are you? I've had people say, well, I can't understand. I'm trying to do everything I could. How could God allow this to happen in my life? One of the key elements of intimacy with God is knowing the love of God. And, I, and I, I'll tell you time and time again, most all, all situations or things, when people come to me, the first thing the first thing that Satan does to you, he'll try to get you to think that God doesn't love you. Remember when Jesus was baptized? He baptized and the Bible says the, the, uh, that as clouds opened up, the Spirit of God came down and a voice was heard, this is my beloved Son... In whom I am well pleased. Jesus goes out and he's being tempted. And what's the first temptation that Satan does to him? The first temptation he says to him is this. He said, if you be the son of God. what do he leave out? This is my beloved son. God loves you. And, and no good thing will he withhold from you. I don't care who you are. He's not a vindictive God in that way. And so... Knowing the love of God is having a good knowledge of the Word of God. If you want to know how much God loves you, then get into His Word. But this is exactly why Psalms 103 verse 7 says, He made His his ways to Moses, but His acts to the children of God. In other words, the children of God, and there's many people that are like that today, they, they understand the acts of God. They can see God's hand moving after everything is over with, but they don't understand His ways. Moses knew what God, God was in, so he in, intimately involved with him that he knew what God was going to do before he did it. And so when the Lord moves in your life, you're not going to understand unless you know His ways. How do I know His ways? I I saturate. That's what Romans 12 verse 2 says. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You saturate your being with the Word of God. And when you do that, when your problems and things come in your life, guess what? You're going to know the ways of God. If you do not draw near to God, then you're not going to understand Romans 8, 28. He has said that if, if, if we will draw near to, the whole, uh, the, to Him, He will draw near to us. That's His promise to you. You draw near to Him, He's saying to us right today. He's saying to this country, you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. When the Lord moves in your life, he, you will not understand unless you know His ways. Remember the story in Matthew 7 of the two men Jesus tells about. We learned this when we were just children. The wise man builds his house on the rock. Remember all that? In Matthew 7, the two men building their home. And one built it on the rock and the other one built it on the, one built it on the sand. And he says, Jesus says, the one who built his house on the rock, he did what I asked him to do. It's not enough just to be a Christian. It's enough that I do, if I want to have the abundant life, I have to do what he tells me to do. And so this one man that built his house on the rock, he did what Jesus told him to do. There was another man, though he built his house on the sand, and he did not do what the Lord told him to do. Now here's what it says. It goes on to say that the storms came to both these men. Just because you're a Christian, that does not mean you're not going to have trouble. Amen? In fact, the Lord said... In this world, you're going to have trouble," he said that. And so here comes trouble. Just because you're a Christian, it doesn't mean you're not going to have so trouble comes to both these men. The storms came. Jesus said, "In this world, you'll have trouble," but he, he said, "Be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world." If you learn how to walk through that trouble with Him, Psalms 103, He's told us that. He, you know, that if we would understand His ways, they both had trouble. But when, but the, my question is. When did they find out that the foundation of their house was either on the sand or on the rock? They didn't find out that, that the foundation was there. It was only when the storms of life came. And Beloved, the man who builds his house on his hand The Bible says the house fell And great was its fall Here's here's my concern for many people today My concern for so many Is they're building or built their lives On the sand of this world And they don't know it And then when the storms of life come they They will fall And many will ask in the middle of all this Well where is God in all this? He's right where he's always been Right there And they'll end up blaming God So understand I believe that Romans 8.28 To understand it You also must understand 8.29 Because what does 8.29 say? 8.29 says And be not conformed to this world But be transformed By the renewing of your mind That you might be able to prove What is that good, acceptable And perfect will of God Is that not uh, No, that's not What am I saying? Yeah, did I give you that? I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's the latter part. Okay. What's that saying? You know what it says? God's got a plan for your life. Do you understand that? God has a plan for your life. In fact, Psalms 139 says this. It says, all your days, your days, not somebody sitting next to you, whatever. All your days were laid out in front of him before you were even one day old. See, all these storms that are going to come at you, he already knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen next week. He knows what's going to happen in your life 15, 20 years from now. He knows what's going to happen. He's going to, sh- why would I not trust him? How crazy would it be if he knows where all the potholes, where all the sinkholes and everything else is? Why in the world would I not trust him? And so he knows that. God has a plan for your life. Listen to what he says Jeremiah 29 11, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you future, give you hope. That's what it says. Listen to what it says over in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared. Listen to this. For God prepared that we should walk in them. When? Before the foundation of theirs. He's already prepared the good work that he wants you to walk in before you were ever even born. Listen to what it says over, also in Philippians 2, 12, 13. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as much in my presence only, but much more in the absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's he saying? He's saying, get out of my way and let me work in your life. But listen to what it goes on to say. Listen to the next verse. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So what am I saying? And I'm and I'm gonna include in here also, I'm gonna include also Philippians one six just because that uh, uh just because I don't my time up or something. <laughs> uh, Philippian, I'm, I'm gonna include Philippians one six and one six because I just love this verse. I'll throw it in anytime I get it, you know. Being confident is this very thing that he, listen to this, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What well, I'm saying, once you gave your heart to the Lord, the Lord will begin to work in your heart and he's going to complete it come hell or high water. Whether you like it or not, he's going to complete it in your life until the day that Jesus comes to get you or you die. So says. What What's this? So what am I saying? I'm just simply saying God's got a plan for your life. But here's my question. What will it take for God, once you're saved, to get you ready to be an asset for the kingdom of God? That's the question I like to ask. Are you an asset for the kingdom of God? Oh, I know. You say, well, I gave my heart to Jesus. Okay, great. Are you an asset for the kingdom of God? Are you an asset for the kingdom of God? You ever bail hay? Go on the field and, and you got one old boy that... You're putting bales of hay on one side of the wagon, and you walk around the other side, and he's got one up there? Are you an asset to the kingdom of God? Are you an asset to the kingdom of God? And so, I have also, and I've also wondered about this. Does the Lord have a degree of difficulty for our lives, or what it takes for us to submit to His will, has He got a scale up there? In other words, you know, has He got a scale up there that He's look, trying to get you to a point where that you will absolutely, totally trust Him in everything you're trying to do. Some, some it seems, go through hell on earth still will not submit. What it will take for you to bow to the Kingdom of God? I've seen people go through horrible experiences, car wrecks, and and. Children to die and everything else, and 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 then you then you ask the question, boy. Some people will say, boy, they'll really turn to the Lord now. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. What will it take? What will it take to get you to really submit and surrender everything to the Lord? What will it be? Some it seems to go through hell on earth in that way. So if I know that God has a plan for my life, He wants me to have a life and eternity like Jesus did and does. Then if I, I know that all things work together for good to me, to those who love God and to those who are called according to the purpose, and if, if I miss His plan, you have missed everything that God has created for you. And if you, and if, and, and, and if you have not yet realized this, This is why you today feel empty inside. You're not doing what what God has has got you to do. You know, it's like you got to drive a nail in your house, and so you're looking around and you can't find it, so you take your shoe off and you start banging that nail to try to get it in the shoe. What you end up doing, tearing your shoe all to pieces, and the nail probably bent and everything else. Why? Because the shoe was not made in a purpose to drive a nail in. You got to go get a hammer. You were not made to do some of the things that you do. You were made in certain a purpose for what? That God wants you to stand in. You have a purpose in life. If you miss the purpose, you've missed everything that God has for you. So you were created for something greater, you know. Now, so why do all things work together for good then, Lee? There's a story of a guy by the name of Bill Fong. Bill Fong was an amateur bowler. And he was bowling one night in a a tournament. And the first game he bowled, he bowled a perfect game, 300. That's a hard thing to do. Straight straight, uh, straight, uh, strikes all the way across. Second game, bowls another 300. There's only been 21 people, 21 people in the history of bowling that's ever bowled a perfect 900 series. In other words, 300, 300, 300. Bill Fong starts throwing the ball and he starts, he gets to the 10th frame and he has nothing but strikes. He's now thrown, I think he throws something like 33 strikes. But he starts feeling a little ill. He starts feeling sick. He starts feeling sick and all of a sudden he goes, you know, he he. he He gets the ball. He gets ready to throw the ball. He throws the ball in the 10th frame, the 11th strike, and it's it's a strike. He's one strike away from bowling a perfect game, but he's still feeling a little bit sick. He throws the next next ball. He throws the next ball, and when he does, the 10 pin starts doing this, wobbling wobbling and wobbling and wobbling, and finally it stands straight up. $8.99. Eight ninety nine, dollars 99 And he, he thought this was the worst time of his life. He goes home. He's still feeling sick. He finds his way into the bathroom. He goes into the bathroom. He starts throwing up. The next thing you know, he passes out. The next morning, he comes, he comes to, and he's in the hospital. And they tell him he's had a stroke. In 2010, he had to go have open-heart surgery. After 2010, and the doctor was sitting with him, it was at, in 2010, the operation he had, they said there was a possibility he would only succeed 70%. The operation could only succeed maybe 70% of the time. And so he, he goes, the operation was successful. The doctor's sitting talking to him. And the doctor tells him this. He says, you know that night that you bowled that 899? Yeah. He said, if that, if that tin pin had fallen, if it had fallen... And you'd have celebrated that, whatever. He said, your blood pressure was already through the roof. He said, if that ten pin had fallen, you'd be a dead man. So what he thought was the worst night of his life turned out to be the very thing that saved his life in that. All things work together for good. Sometimes the things that we think are bad are only bad to us. God has a different perspective on those things. We all know bad things happen, but Christians have a unique way of processing life when bad things happen to them. Romans 8, 28 can change a person, can change their attitude, change a person to have resilience rather than worry over a situation. That they know their Father in heaven has got this. You have heard me say that one of the greatest things that can happen to a child of God is to die and to go to be with the Lord. And I mean that. But, we, but do we miss that person? Absolutely we do. I'm not saying we don't miss them. Do we grieve? Yes. Do we mourn for them? Yes, we do. i walked in too many of those hospital rooms or those little cubicles with people and they're getting bad news. And I I, I walked, I never will forget, when early in my ministry a mother that came and grabbed me like this right, and pulled me up to her face because her five-year-old daughter had just died on the operating room table. Don't tell, how is it that all things work together for good? How is it? I've been there. I know what it's like. I've seen people go through all kinds of things. But the problem is, you know, do we miss the person when he died? Yes. Do we mourn for them? Yes, we do. Jesus at the grave of Lazarus wept. And yet he knew he would raise him up from the grave that day. People ask the Lord, why didn't you answer my prayer? I prayed for this person. and, And you know what? I believe that the Lord comes back and said, I did answer your prayer. You asked me to heal her, she's healed. You asked me to give her life, she has life. And now she not only has life, she has abundant life. She's living life like never before. No problems in pulling her any other way. You asked me not to let her hurt. doesn't hurt anymore and the Lord would say if only you could see her now but you say you know if only you could see her now you say but then the Lord says to you but you will see her or him do you realize that God has a calendar in heaven and on it is your arrival date huh I heard a story one time of a guy had a big bowl of marbles, and he put all these marbles in this bowl, and he 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 figured out how many days he would he would uh, sort of live. And by the way, if you ever buy life insurance, you can figure out how long they think you're going to (laughs) live. I just look at the premiums. I I did. I went and figured it out. I was trying to buy. This not you know. What's, how much will I have left? When there? But he bought this big bowl. And every day that he thought, he put how many marbles in there he thought he was going to live. And every day he would take a marble out when that day was over with. Some people say, oh, that's awful. You shouldn't do something like that. He said, no. I said, you know what? The Bible Doesn't the Bible say, teach me to number my days that I may apply wisdom unto it? And, and, and so... You know, God's got to count. Listen to what it says over in Job 14, 5. And this is in the New Living Translation. It says, you have decided the length of our lives and you know how many months we will live and we're not given a minute longer. Brother, when the warranty warns out, the Lord said, let's go. You know? You see, when someone dies, what we hear on earth, it's a shock. It's an unscheduled event. But in heaven... It's a scheduled event. I wonder if God doesn't have a big board up there. And people come on and look and say, well, your loved one said, well, I wonder when is he arriving? He's arriving here whatsoever, you know. When's he coming, you know? Romans 8, 28, listen, is God's guarantee. It is that we know that all things work together for good. You know, life's supposed to be simple. The Apostle Paul one time wrote he said that you would not be taken away from the simplicity that's in the gospel. That's what he said. Romans 8:21, 8, 8 though is one of the most simplest verses in the Bible. It's made up of 25 words. And 22 of them are one syllable. There's only three words in it that are compound. Simplest verse there is in the Bible. And so first and so it, and it, but those 22 words produce a great truth. First understand that that it is a definite Romans 8:28 is a definite promise. We know. We know. What do we know? Well, the Bible tells us this it says that weeping may endure through the night. But what? Joy comes in the morning. It tells us that it tells us in Romans 8, uh, 8, verse eight thirty-two. it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God gave the best thing he possibly can for you, how is he going to uh, not give you what you really need? He also says this in 1 John chapter 3, 1, it says, What manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God? What's that t- All those verses do one thing. You know what it tells me? It tells me that God's got my back. God's got the best interest in my life in here. God is saying we can know. What can we know? We can know how important it is. We can know that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord. And know, the word know is used 1,098 times in the Bible. Our lives are in God's hands. That's stating we can know our lives are in good hands. Donald Greg Barnhouse one time said it would be wonderful if all the things worked together for good, and we didn't know. But you see, your Father in Heaven who wants to share everything with you, He wants you to know. He wants you, he wants you to know that all things work together for good for them who love the Lord. He wants you to know. But you see, we're people of faith. So God wants you to know, to know that He will work it out How's he going to work it out? I don't have a slice. Some of the situations, some of the problems you're going through right now, how's God going to work it out? I don't have a clue. But he said he will. And God never lies. Titus chapter 1 verse 2. He never lies. He never goes back on his word. That's why I depend on this book. We know that brings a great comfort to your life. But when bad things happen, we can know that God will somehow work this out for good. Psalms 84, verse 11, what does it say? For the Lord God is the sun, the shield, the Lord will give grace and glory. And listen to this, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. also says this over in James 1, 17. Every good and perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the Father of life, in whom there is no variation, a shadow of turning. He's the same yesterday and forever. Jesus spoke of things on the Sermon on the Mount, and he said this in Matthew 7. He said this, Or what man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. Listen to this. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God's on your side. God's on your side. Lord is saying, if you're evil and know how to give good things to your children, then God, who is good, how much more will He give good things to those that? Have? Yet, yet He tells us in Romans eight twenty six. You know what He says in Romans eight twenty six? We don't know how to pray. You ever been that way? You ever been in a time, place that things were just so pressing in on you, whatever? You don't know how to pray. Just, I mean you just I don't know how to pray. I've been with, I've been with people that told me great praying people but they said, "Well, I, I just don't know how to pray." It tells you we don't know how to pray. Uh, Romans 8:28 says, "Listen, this is a difficult road that we're following, but it but you know what? It uh, uh, but by the same time, this verse is a verse that tells us that we can know that God is ultimately in control of our lives and we cannot owe all the details and how they're fitting together sometimes we don't know how to pray but we can be certain about the ultimate outcome what's the ultimate outcome so while we're uncertain about the immediate we can be certain about the future because God has promised us all things work together for good and I thought about this for we're like children though with the Lord we're like children going on a long trip and every 10 minutes we're asking the Lord are we there yet are we there yet? This is a definite promise. Listen to what Isaiah 64, verse 4 says For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived, nor have the ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you who acts for the one who waits for him. Let me ask you a question Have you waited for him? In your trouble, in your trials that you're going through? In your sickness, in your financial difficulties, in your marital relationships, have you waited for him? Have you waited for him? When the Lord inspired Apostle Paul to write that all things work together for good, I once heard that they they call this this verse was called the miracle of the shipyard. If you take any part of that ship and take it away from the from the hole, it's heavy iron and throw it into the sea, it will sink to the bottom. But when the shipbuilders take those parts and weld them together, this massive ship floats. You see, 28 says, All things. I want you to look at this verse. Look at it like you've never seen it before. We know that all things work together for good, it doesn't say things work together for good, it says, All things. Not one thing works together for good, but all things work together for good. That's what it says. All things. You know? All things. Let's be honest. Cancer is not good, is it? No, it's not. Death is not good. Child abuse is not good. But all things in life, God will take them and fit them into his plan, and you will see it to be good. You see, how's he going to do it? I don't know. Verse verse 17 of Romans 8, it says, we we, we suffer not good. We suffer because he he tells us there, he says, simply, my children, heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we will also glorify with him. Nobody wants to suffer. But as a Christian, if you stand, you're probably going to suffer. Verse 23, it says we groan. Groaning is not good. Verse 26, we don't know how to pray. Sometimes we don't know how to pray because things are good, not good. But when you take all the parts, God will make them good for they're parts of God's plan. Why is it that God allowed you to go through what you went through? Somebody went through a divorce. Why did you go through that divorce? God allowed it. Did he cause it? No. But he allowed it. Why why did you lose your job when somebody else uh, that was not qualified and they got the job but you didn't get the job? Why did God allow that to happen? Because all things work together for good. He's doing something in your life. He's got the goal out here. He's got your picture in heaven. That's why the Bible says you've been seated in in the heavenlies. That's when he took your picture. He's, got, he's, make, he's making you, he's got, he knows exactly what you're going to look like when you look, come to Jesus. You know, God is saying he has an ultimate plan. He's in control for all that happens in my life. He's not saying that sickness and suffering and persecution and grief and sorrow or any such thing is good because those things are evil. Hatred is not love. Death is not life. Grief is not joy. And the world is full of evil. But what the text is saying, that God uses those things, his own good thing for his people. That's exactly what Joseph said to his brother. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. The Lord brings good out of evil. Good will take the bad things that happen to us and turn them around for blessing. Paul's not saying we should experience the goodness in all things. But on the contrary, he's saying experience the goodness of God. He's not saying things are good. He's saying that God, your Father, is so good that He's going to take this mess and He's going to turn it around and make it good. You got me? Amen? I don't know what you're going through, but whatever you're going through, He's going to take that and turn it around where it's going to be good. Do you hear me? Mm. Amen? Amen. You know... He has that ultimate control. The Lord brings good out of evil. Good will take the bad things that happen to us and turn them around for blessing. Paul is not saying we should experience the goodness in all things, but the goodness of God. Do you recognize the difference in this verse? The Lord is not saying that everything is good by itself. He's saying that together we will work for good. This verse does not tell me that if I break my leg or my child dies or my house burns down or I get attacked. No, he's saying God will use these events and weave them together with every other thing in my life in order to produce what he knows that is best for me. What a tremendous... Listen to this. What a tremendous promise this is. Listen. Listen. I've been through things in my life that I would never wish on anybody. I would never want to go through in my life ever again. But I wouldn't take a million bucks for them. Because the Lord did something in my life to take me where I I was and take me maybe down a notch or two to understand some things. And notice it says together for good. When you are clueless about life and it leads to frustration in our life, and some that are here today are asking what God is doing in my life, the things that are happening are severe, and you're trying to figure them out. But Paul gives us an interesting description. He says all things work together. He and here's what he does: he uses the work son a ghetto, son of ghetto. And the word is where we get our word synergy, our, from, our synergy, our synergism. And it, here's what this word means, synergy. It means the working together of various elements to produce an element that is greater than the often completely different from the sum of each element if they're acting independently. And I know you said, I remember all that, Lee. But let me just give you a great example. A great example is table salt. What's the ingredients in table salt? You know what the ingredients in table salt are. What, and, and you look on the, you remember, the one thing I remember when I was in the chemistry, didn't blow up everything, but, but was the, the symbols, what is it? N A C L, sodium and chloride. Now, if you take sodium or chloride by itself, by itself, then what you get is poison, it'll kill you. But you put them together, you have salt, and it makes your food taste better. Amen? So if he takes all the things, that is, you know, unless you're at my daughter-in-law's house and they have pink salt, you gotta wind it and all that. God didn't intend for us to have pink salt. Anyway, but but the whole point, (laughs) but the whole point is you, you take everything out here that you've been through, and God says, when I take it and I put it together, see, I'm trying to make you like Jesus. You know, and I've always told you in here, I mean, you know, Jesus wants you to, uh, the Lord wants you to love like Jesus did, but he's not going to get you to love like that while well, long as he sends a bunch of people to you that pat you on the back and tell you what a wonderful person you are. He's going to have to send some nuts. He's going to have to send you some people that you just like to tap slap. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so that, you know, so table salt, put it together, it tastes good. Or, or my wife's nah, she got me in, I got in trouble listen to the rest of this first. My wife's cookies. No, they're not poison. She, she makes great cookies when the, when the ingredients are mixed together. But if I go in there and I get some of her. Cookie, whatever it is, and stuff she puts in there, and the lard, and I don't know where you use lard. She uses butter, butter, and all this other stuff. If I take it and I taste each one, yeah, it doesn't taste good. But when she puts them all together and mixes them in there, boy, does it taste good. That's what God's trying to do in your life. What, that's what Paul's trying to get over to us. That almost everything that goes into cookies tastes terrible by itself. But put them together, it's delicious. The things that happen to us day by day, we don't understand what, we're, what we want to ask why. And when you get the revelation that God loves you and he's working out every detail, of your, bring blessings into your life, what a difference it makes for the best. It's true. You look at life differently. This is an absolute divine promise, but it's to those who love the Lord. Notice this those who love the Lord and those who also are called according to his purpose. A believer is one who what? Loves the Lord. There's a condition for this to take place in the life. First, you come to Christ. You have to come to him because he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Now let me ask you a question Do you love God? Do you love God? Well, I know about God. But do you love Him? Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor hath entered in the heart of man. The things which God has prepared for what? For those who love Him. Listen to what it says over in 1 Corinthians 8, 3. If anyone loves God, this one is known by Him. The Bible teaches us how to love God. It says that if we love God, we keep His commandments. So, are you walking in fellowship with God? If you're married, then there should be things to your mate can see that proves you love them. Do you love the Lord? Let me ask this question Do we as a church love the Lord? Do we as a body of believers love the Lord? That we all know the first thing we do is put him first. And when people come in here that are not, not uh, part of our church, can they see that we love God? Because we love God, we are his children. The incidence in our lives is, is not incidental. Does God cause some of the things you're like? No. But look at Job. Did, did God take away everything from Job? No. Did he take his children away when the barn fell? No. Did he take away his, his finance and everything? No. Who did that? Satan. But understand something. He had to get permission from God before he could even touch him. But why would God let to do that? Because he knows all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, to them who are called for I know for a fact, you know, in my life, it's in my times of trouble and things that draws me closer to Him. He's called you and I to love Him and, and you're His child and we're in a relationship with Him. He's working in your life for His glory and for your benefits. Sometimes it just it doesn't make sense. And, and that's not the message that Joseph said to his brothers. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. Okay, so let me finish here. So, So, what do I do to come to realization in my life that everything in my life, even though I don't understand it and I have to endure it and go through it, everything in my life, God's going to work it out for good. What do I got to do? Well, let me give you three things real quick. Number one, be determined to trust God. That's not easy. I know it's not easy. But be determined you're going to trust God. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 46, 9, 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and most ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. It is not only believing in God, but do you believe God? When you're going through something, do you find an anchor verse that you hang on to and you believe God? Is that what you do? Now, you know, here, I choose to live my life not out of fear, but out of believing God. So in the midst of this, you go along to him and you say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on, but Lord, let me tell you something. I believe you're going to take this for a reason, for whatever purpose, and make good out of it. Here's the second thing. I'm determined to thank God. People come to me and say, well, I prayed for this person to be healed whatever. Or I prayed for this whatever. Now what do I do? Here comes the second prayer. What's the second prayer? Here's the second prayer. What's the second prayer? It's this. Now you go in and you thank him and you praise him. And you keep praising him and you keep thanking him and praising him and thanking him until you see the manifestation of what you asked for at first. Because people say, Lee, do I keep on asking? No. You go start praising him. Start thanking him. He's heard you. He promised you to hear you. Hitherto you've asked nothing in my name, asking you shall receive, that your joy might be full. Listen to this. This is a great quote. Charles Spurgeon. I love Charles Spurgeon. I, I, one of my devotions in, in the morning is with Charles Spurgeon. He said this, Learn to kiss the wave that throws you against the rock of ages. I wish I'd said that. Do you hear what he said? Learn to kiss the wave that throws you against... The rock of ages. How many many of us in here could say, we would not be saved today. We would not be walking with the Lord today if certain things hadn't happened in our life that caused us to go that way. God knew exactly what He was doing, didn't He? Yes, He did. Here's the third thing. The final thing. I am determined to trust God no matter what. I may not understand what's happening, but I will trust the one that loves me more than anyone else. And God loves you. More than anything else. Let me, let me, and, and, and I'm, I am finished. I know people say you lie when you get up there, but no, I am finished. Let me read a, a quote thing here, and this is by John Piper. I, I like some of the things John Piper does, some of the things I don't like, when he does. But this is good. Listen to what he says about Romans 8 28. Here's what he says If you live inside this massive promise, your life is more solid and stable than Mount Everest. Man. Nothing can blow you over when you are inside the walls of Romans 8.28 because your father's got it. Outside Romans 8.28, all is confusion and anxiety and fear and uncertainty. Outside the promise of all all encompassing future grace there are straw houses of drugs and pornography and dozens of feudal diversions there are slat walls and tin roofs of fragile investment strategies and fleeting insurance coverage and trivial retirement plans there are cardboard fortifications of dead boat locks and alarm systems and anti-ballistic missiles outside a thousand substitutes for Romans 8:28. 28 once you walk through the door of love into a massive, unshakable structure of Romans 8, 28, everything changes. There comes into your life stability and depth and freedom. You simply can't be blown over anymore. The confidence that a sovereign God governs you for you, your good, all the plan and all the pleasure that you will ever experience is incomparable refuge and security and hope and power in your life. When God's people really live by the future grace of Romans 8, 28. From measles to mortuary. They're the freest and the strongest and the most generous people in the world. Their light shines as people give glory to their Father in heaven. You know, it's so easy we talk about praising God. It's so easy to praise Him when everything's going all good, fine. But the Bible talks about the sacrifice of praise. Don't miss this. If God's got you going through a mess right now, thank him for it. Lord, thank you for the mess I'm involved in right now. The devil can't stand that. Thank you, Lord, for the mess I'm going through right now. Because as I go through this mess, Lord, I'm going to praise you. I believe you got this, Lord. I believe you're going to take this and make good out of it. And I don't know what's going to happen, Lord. But I believe you're going to do this and just praise you, old devil. I I praise you, God. And devil, you might as well flee from me because I'm going to praise him all the way through it. Amen? I heard this also, and I'll close with this. I know, I'll close. Do, you know, you know uh, is that what I did? Yeah, oh. I am who I am because I am tells me who I am. I am who I am because I am tells me who I am. Boy, that's some good stuff, in it? Some good stuff. Yes, it is. Good stuff. And you can take that home and eat it, man. You can do it. Today, I'm asking you, where are you at today? Are, are, have you grabbed a hole and sunk your teeth into Romans 8, 28? Have you? That God's got it? Maybe you need to come up here and just simply say, and come to this altar and just say, Lord... What Lee just preached about Romans, Lord, I want that to be in my heart. I some of us just need a 12-inch conversion. It needs to come from our mind, not an intellectual ascent, but down to my heart where I know that 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 I know, that I know, that I know what he said. If you're not here today and you've never surrendered your